You're listening to Outlaws and Gunslingers, the only podcast covering all of America's infamous criminals, from the Wild West to the Mafia, all the way up to the ruthless street gangs of today. Brought to you exclusively by the Creative Control Network. Here are your hosts, the Mouthy Michiganders, Bang and Dang. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Outlaws and Gunslingers, and we're moving on. We should probably uh, should have done this episode that we're doing right now before the FBI one that came out, but what are you going to do, you know? It's uh, officially the end of the public enemy era gangsters that we did. We did uh, all four. Well, we did three public enemies, and this will be the fourth and final one. Yeah. Him and his gang, all about Alvin Carpus and his Carpus Barker gang. Carpus Barker. Which were the... He had a cool name. Carpus Barker gang. Yeah. It was one of the longest-lived criminal gangs during the Depression era, which spanned from 91 to... Or 91? From uh, 31 to 35. The gang got to start when Alvin Carpus and Fred Barker met while incarcerated in a Kansas prison. Nice. The two would go on to commit store robberies, bank robberies, and eventually move into kidnapping. Obviously, once you've done the robbery, you've got to kidnap somebody. you got to kidnap. This is the next step in the old... uh, Robbing um, stages. The the (laughs) criminal... robbing people. criminal, right. (laughs) Stuff to rob. You're you're, robbing people. You're physically stealing... (laughs) You're stealing physical people now. (laughs) Barker and Carpus were meticulous in their planning and often added additional individuals who had specific types of hold-up skills. Right or other criminal experience needed for a job. Look at these guys mm-hmm. hiring out. Who's the best? Who's the best uh, driver? Who's the best whatever? Right. You know, I guess man, you gunman. Gotta, you got to keep it. Uh, you keep right. it fresh. Right. Well, 1932, Carpus could name 11 banks they had robbed, but the number was probably higher than that. Most likely by rotating their members. This caused great. This caused greater difficulty for the FBI in apprehending them. The the, the uh, first paragraph on this story here is already more organized than the. I was last gonna say. Uh, I was, I was literally did. just thinking that, like, how does this guy sound more smart than right. all these did Dillinger, Nelson, Bonnie, Clyde, all those guys? Crazy. Crazy. I'm digging it. Mm-hmm. Well, Carpus was born to Lithuanian immigrants John and Anna. Carpovicius? Uh, Carpovicius? Carpovicius, Carpovicius. How do you say Lithuanian names? I don't know. It's K-A-R. P-A-V-I-C with the V on the top. <laughs> I-U-S. That means you got to pronounce it a certain way, and uh, I don't know what that way is. Anyway, he was born in Montreal, Quebec, and was raised in Topeka, Kansas. Well, okay. That's a, uh, that's a hell of a move. That's two different uh, environments there, eh? Uh, he started in crime at the age of 10. Okay. Running around with gamblers, bootleggers, and pimps. <laughs> nice. Is that what they always do? All right. Uh, 1926, he was sentenced to 10 years at the State Industrial Reformery. Reformatory. Okay, so he was born in 1907. Right, 1926. So he was, he was 19 here 19. when he uh, got sentenced. Ten years at the Industrial Reformatory. In Isn't that about the usual age, too? Didn't uh, Dillinger so. and Babyface, it was about 18, 19, 18, 19 when they got their yeah, first All sentence. Right. All right. Anyway, this was in Hutchinson, Kansas, where he was imprisoned. Yes. For an attempted burglary. Attempted. Mm, attempted. He got ten years for an attempted. Mm-hmm. Wow. He escaped uh, with another inmate, Lawrence Duvall. And went on a one-year-long crim- criminal, <laughs> went on a year-long crime spree, interrupted briefly while he lived with his parents after Duvall was arrested. <laughs> after moving to Kansas City, Missouri, he was caught stealing a car and sent back to the reformatory. Transferred to the Kansas State Penitentiary in Lansing, he met Fred Barker. And there it is. He was in prison for bank yeah. burglary. <laughs> burglary. Bank robbery. Well, Barker, 
uh, meanwhile, was one of the notorious members of the Bloody Barkers at this time, as nice. the newspaper of the time called them. Fred Barker was born to George Elias and Arizona Donnie Clark Ma Barker. So she's Ma. Ma. Ma Barker. Ma. In Aurora, Missouri on nice. December 12, 1901. 1901. The family moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1912, and Barker's older brothers, Herman, Lloyd, and Arthur, were committing crimes throughout his childhood, belonging to a gang of local delinquent youths called the Central Park Gang. Hmm. So uh, This guy's a little bit older than old Carpus, so he got a little bit more... Uh, and uh, old Freddie has a bunch of uh, brothers that are doing crimes already, so it's pretty inevitable that he's going to end up in it, right? Right. Uh, the gang met in the park to plan crimes and stash their stolen goods. There, Barker met future members of the Barker Carpus Gang, including Volney Davis. He was first arrested in prison in 1927 for, you guessed it, burglary. So what, the same year? 1927. 26, uh, Carpus was, so 27. one year later. While in prison, he met Elvin Carpus. Yes, According to Carpus, Barker was a dominant figure in jail who was able to obtain marijuana and other perks. Okay, good for Alcohol and well, Of course, cigarettes. he had his, his criminal brothers and shit with right. him and stuff with him. Some McDonald's, if they had right. it in 1927. Carpus also said no. he was a natural-born killer oh. who never hesitated. You hesitate, you die. Mm-hmm. Unlike Carpus, nicknamed Creepy Carpus. Creepy. <laughs> Creepy. Creepy, Creepy Carpus. Carpus. <laughs> Barker was known for his personal charm. Oh, dang. This guy's a charmer. Creepy Carpus. Creep, you got the creepy guy and the charming guy. Creepy Carpus. So well, I take it Barker. What he, that's what he looked like, so he does look like a little creepy guy to me. Right, so Barker got laid more than Elvin. <laughs> Pretty much is what that means. <laughs> well, after their release in 1931, Barker and Carpus joined up to commit a string of burglaries, burglaries in Kansas, often collaborating with other local criminals. Look, they, they brought the locos in on it and stuff. Look at these guys. Several notable gangsters joined the Barkers in various crimes, including Harvey Bailey, Frank Nash, Fred Goat, and Dr. <laughs> Joseph Moran. Frank Nash. Frank Nash. They were accompanied by Ma Barker and her boyfriend, Arthur Dunlop, who they sometimes called Dunlop or Dunlap. <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah. Newspapers spelled it Dunlap sometimes, but it's Dunlop. Dunlop. Yeah. Arthur. And, oh, Artie. Uh, Why would they call him Artie? Well... I don't know. Maybe a little like timeline that. of the crimes. On July 25th, 1932, Barker, Carpus, Duvall, and Jesse Doyle and Earl Christman robbed the Cloud County Bank at Concordia, Kansas, and made off with about $250,000 in cash and bonds. Yeah, how do they, how they cash in the bonds, though? They sell them off to people and they can cash them in somehow? I don't know. How would you do that? Right. 18th. Oh, yeah. Well, on, a 18, <laughs> on the 18th of August, they pulled a second job at the Second National Bank of Beloit, Wisconsin, for fifty grand. So they got oh. three hundred grand in their pocket in a matter of a month. Right. And only fifty grand, though they they're probably disappointed about that one. Well, what are you gonna do? Right, December 19, 1933, they killed Howell County, Missouri Sheriff Kelvin Roy Kelly in West Plains, Missouri. They fled to Joplin, and then to St. Paul, Minnesota, where Barker, his brother Arthur, Carpus, and Lawrence Duvall robbed the Third Northwestern National Bank in Minneapolis. Duvall killed policeman Ira Leon Evans and policeman Leo Gorksky during their escape. While Barker murdered Oscar Erickson, a passing motorist. Wow. They fled to Joplin. They robbed the third Northwestern National Bank. In Minneapolis. And killed some cops and uh, just a passing guy driving by. I'm going to shoot him too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Barker and Carpus were also suspected of killing Dunlop. Uh Uh-oh. An alcoholic whom they considered to be untrustworthy after someone tipped police to the gang's hideout. Ooh. According to other members, Dunlop was also abusive to Ma. Oh, no. You can't be abusive you to can't Ma. Be, you can't, can't be abusive to Ma. Crime boss Harry Isn't Sawyer. That Barker's? That's Barker's Ma, right? Yeah. 
And he's allowing that? Well, they killed him, apparently. <laughs> so, no, he didn't allow it. <laughs> Crime boss Harry Sawyer, who was born Harry Sandilovich, found them at a house at 1031 Roberts Road, owned by Helen Hanegraaff. His name was Harry Sawyer, but he was born Harry Sandilovich. Right. Hmm. Uh, they used the name Anderson, but a few weeks later, Helen's son, Nick, recognized Elvin and Fred's photos in a copy of True Detective magazine Uh-oh. and contacted the police. Mm. Well, the corrupt chief of uh, the corrupt <laughs> chief of police, Thomas A. Big Tom Brown, oh, Big Tom. tipped the Barkers off and they left town. I told Big Tom, you shouldn't have done that. Stupid. Why? Them boys are already gone. And just after that, April 3rd, or April 4th, 1933, Fred and Arthur Barker, Alvin Carpus, and gang robbed the Fairbury, Nebraska bank. Mm. So they're on the run. On the run. And they're still robbing banks. Nice. Look at these guys. And now they're going north, south, north, south, east. Like they're north, going everywhere, everywhere in the Midwest, man. Like it. The gang continued their bank robbing activities until mid-1933. Yes, they did. When they decided that robbing banks was becoming risky. <laughs> you think? <laughs> they're like, you think this is a little risky? <laughs> you think this is a little risky? Yeah. Shouldn't we be doing this? Right. And therefore decided to verge into field of... Kidnapping. Kidnapping. 1933, on the same weekend as the Kansas City Massacre. What you guys heard all about? They kidnapped William Ham, mm. a millionaire Minnesota Brewster. <laughs> Brewster. <laughs> Brewster. Uh, <laughs> William Brewster. A millionaire Minnesota Brewer. The Minnesota Brewer outside of his house was moited. His office. Sorry, guys. Mm-mm. Yeah, He wasn't murdered. Oh, they kidnapped the guy. Yeah, they napped him. Right, well, they they didn't, well, they didn't nap him. They kidnapped him. They kidnapped him. They didn't nap him. Right, now they're stealing humans. <laughs> After the gang was uh, paid a ransom of $100,000, guess what? You get to go back. Oh, look at them. They, Usually, uh, yeah, yeah they, they got their money and they let them go. Good for them. Good. What a noble gang. Right. What a noble gang these guys are. Yeah, lucky old William Ham <laughs> was, was left to be. He still, oh, got, oh, he still got to be in the story, though. Old Billy Ham. Old Billy Ham got it. So somehow he, uh, William Ham must have went to the police for this story to be known. Unless, I'm assuming, yeah. Unless Carpa's is telling all this i'm sure uh they know i'm sure they had a ransom so the police already knew yeah, who they give a ransom to his family which i'm sure the police were contacted yeah but it's william ham's money you know how they you know how the uh no always says no cops right no cops. <laughs> they're wiretapping phones and shit. like guys the, the note specifically said no cops no cops like, well, we're just doing our job man right Shortly after this, they abducted St. Paul banker hey, Edward Bremer, Bremer, who was released after the gang was paid $200,000 by his family. They're releasing and uh, getting their money. They're getting yeah. their money and releasing. Right. Mm. Well, those kidnappings, however, however, led to the gang's end. Mm, of course it would. When mm. you start kidnapping people. Right. <laughs> when you start stealing people. Right. When you start stealing people, you're done. <laughs> you're done. I mean, that's it, guys. We can mm. allow you to get some banks. and. Well, see, this is where they screw up because the father of kidnapped Edward Bremer was a pr- friend of President Franklin D. Roosevelt. Oh, you don't mess with friends of Franklin. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Roosevelt had even mentioned the kidnapping in one of his fireside chats. Oh, geez, he mentioned it? Oh, it's over with. And me. fueled also by the Lindbergh kidnapping, the FBI and local police bureaus greatly stepped up their pursuit of those engaged in these types of crimes. Mm. They say ain't no kidnapping is going to, uh, famous no. people at least, going right. to happen on our watch. No. Well, the FBI had by this time organized a group of highly skilled agents called the Flying Squad, nice. which specializes in hunting down the leading public enemies, and they've been, they've been very effective, which we've uh, seen so far. They knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Knew what they were doing. One of the gang's major undoings was when they killed their own gang member, George Shotgun Ziegler. 
Ziegler, who had been one of the Bremer kidnapping masterminds, oh. began to brag about the kidnapping oh. to several underworld associates. That's you can't, what you just don't, you you don't dumb, do that. Especially dummy, to, dummy. Especially to other underworld right. associates. I mean, right. of course they're going to come, hey, man, your, your right. boy's got a big mouth. Somebody you might want to get rid of him. Right. Or if one of those other gang members get busted by the police, they'll be like, hey, man, right. let me go if I let in this little bit of information. Mm-hmm. Mm. Anyway, tell him that he was a genius behind the kidnappings. He's like, guess what, guys, what we did? And it was more. I thought of it all. It was oh, all me. Man. You want to know where we Screw. hid everything? <laughs> Screw Carpus and Parker. I'm the mastermind. Right. As a result, his fellow gang members shot four slugs into Zebra <laughs> as he was coming out of his favorite restaurant in Cirso, Illinois. Cicero? C-I-C-E-R-O. Cicero? 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 Anyway. Cicero? In Illinois. On March 22nd, 1934, they're like, enough's enough, and it's time for a change. Well, see, you, uh, this next thing you're about to uh, say, we were just talking about at the beginning how these guys seem like they're smart. smart and mm. then they got stupid. They let their anger get a hold of them. Mm. Well, guess what they did? They left the body. You never leave the body. You never leave the body. FBI agents found names, uh, aliases, addresses, and other valuable information in Ziegler's pockets. And why did they clear his pockets? Idiots. Soon lead into the deaths or capture of the main members of this very gang. Idiots, man. Wow. I mean, can, can, can't be any more sloppy than that, can you? Right. Wow. Well, with the FBI in pursuit, Barker and Carpus attempted to get plastic surgery to alter their appearance and remove their fingertips. Oh, shit. Or fingerprints. Nice. The procedure was carried out by Moran, an underworld doctor. Operations were so painful that Fred asked one of his friends to shoot him to stop the pain, but his friend refused. He's like, no, man. <laughs> Come on, man. You can't do this. We need you. Right. This is called the Carpus Barker Gang, dude. Right. Morin or Moran or however you want to say, M-O-R-A-N, disappeared shortly after doing the procedure. A badly decomposed body was discovered a year later, washed up from Lake Erie on Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. Please identify it. You guessed it. Mr. Morin. Mm-hmm. 1971, Carpus wrote in his autobiography that the identification was mistaken. Okay. He claimed that Morin had been murdered by the Barkers and then buried in a lime pit in Michigan. It's like, no, that can't be true. Unless that yeah. lime pit goes out into the water. I was say, can't, uh, the, the killing part's true, but <laughs> uh, you didn't wash up on a Crystal Beach in Ontario, Canada. That's for sure. No way. The only way if, if they found him, if they're digging for lime <laughs> in the pit. Well, the most accepted version of the tale, though, is that Carpus and Fred Barker took Moran on a boat ride on Lake Erie, during which they both murdered him. He was killed either for his bot surgery or for shooting he... his mouth off about the gang in a brothel. <sighs> oh, come on, I thought you guys were smarter than this. You can't be associating with people like this. Right. Well, the last time Moran was seen alive was at a brothel in which he drunkenly bragged, I have you guys in the palm of my hand. Ooh. Oh, that's the wrong thing to say to these guys. Yeah. Mm. Well, he left the bar with Carpus and Barkus. It was never seen a Barkus. Carpus <laughs> and Barker and was never seen I mean, again. Ooh. I mean, come on. The guy got a little cocky. Come on, Moran. You can't be just shooting your mouth off like that, man. He had a, a, a girl riding him in a beer in one hand, and he's just on top of the world, and he looked at them two guys and was like, you know what? I got you guys right here, like, right, right here in the palm of my hand. Without me, right, or I could, I could tell on you guys right now. You guys give me anything I want, or else anything. it's to the slammer you go. And they're like, "Don't worry, they're you like, got it." You're like, they're like, "Yeah, you're right, buddy. Let's go to my house. We have more drinks there." <laughs> <laughs> All right, 1934, November 27th. Babyface Nelson was the public enemy number one at this very time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was mortally wounded in a gun battle with the FBI and died. 
later that night. Sure did. The very next day, Alvin Karpis was declared public enemy number Alvin Karpis, so here he is. And the fourth and last to ever be named public enemy. The last public enemy. The last public enemy. After this, the gang attempted to launder the ransom money, though this proved to be difficult because the serial numbers had been recorded by the FBI, obviously, a fact that soon became known to the gang. Yeah, you can't launder... uh tracked money doesn't right. go so well for you mm-hmm. well while harry sawyer traveled to cuba to launder the money his wife gladys and fred's girlfriend paula were arrested for drunken disorderly behavior oh, no. at a hotel in cleveland paula had a mental breakdown while being questioned and was returned to her family in texas barker moved to cuba with his brother his mother and carpus nice. however however they soon relocated to florida after carpus <sighs> became concerned that the money had not been adequately adequ- adequ- adequately Adequately, adequately, <laughs> adequately, adequately laundered. Um, stupid mistake. Yeah. Should have stayed in Cuba. I don't know. What about Cuba? Well, yeah, I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, they could have spent American money in Cuba, though, right? And be somewhat protected even from if, even the if killers. It's, even if it's uh, tracked, what are they going to do? Right. Cuba ain't extraditing nobody to no. uh, the United States. So. No, not at all. Well, anyway, they ran into Lakeside property in Aklawa. Under the Aklawaha in Florida, right? Under the pseudonym, 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 the pseudonym. Pseudonym. They rented a lakeside property in Oklahoma, 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 under the name Blackburn, claiming to be a mother and sons wanting to vacation in country retreat. We just want this to be in the country. We just want to be. Sorry, if we just want to be in the country. We want to retreat here. And right. We're just having a, a little mother sun time. Easily, easily like that. We like it. Mm. Arthur soon left Florida, and he said, "I'm going to Chicago." Mm. Carpus also moved on, leaving Fred and Ma in the house. They're like, "Gotta go, Fred." Ma, gotta go. Ma. <laughs> She's like, "No, <laughs> no. This is my retreat." FBI agents caught up with them. Uh oh. After Arthur was spotted and arrested in Chicago on the 8th of January, 1935. Okay. A map found in his possession indicated oh my gosh. that the other gang members were in Oklahoma, but did not identify the address. So they know where the uh, city right. that they're in is. So right. uh, now they, I mean, come on, guys. you got to be smarter than that to carry down around a damn map on your person of where you're. Where the right. criminal association and, is. And why would you go to Chicago? Oh, of all places. Oh, the FBI soon located the house at which they were staying after identifying references to a local alligator named Ojo. What the hell is a local alligator? Alligator hunter, probably? No. He's like alligator? Alligator down there named Ojo. Mm-hmm. Ojo the alligator. And Maybe. questioned locos about newcomers. Started asking anybody, but like, hey, you've seen anybody ain't been around? There is these. They're down by that house by where old Joe goes. They're just mine, their sons. Right. They're having a retreat. <laughs> Agents surrounded the house at 13250 East Highway C25 hmm. on the morning of January 16, 1935. Unknown to the FBI, Carpus and other gang members had left three days before, Gone. leaving only Fred and Matt, and Matt. in the house. Well, ordered to surrender, flat, Fred fled. <laughs> Fred opened fire. Fred's like, I'm going out in the blaze of glory. In the blaze of glory. He threw, on, he threw on the boss and the FBI agents retreated to a safe distance, but lobbed smoke bombs into the house. Smoke bombs. Gunfire continued to come from the house, and Fred and Ma apparently moved from room to room, obviously, as shots came from different windows. The FBI returned fire, allegedly, 
Many local people came to watch the events unfolding. Jeez. Even holding picnics during the gun. Hold a picnic uh, 15 minutes. They got time to set up Look. sandwiches and. <laughs> Margaret, you got that picnic ready? We got to go. <laughs> Did you want mustard? It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, spring the mustard. God, Cheryl, move your ass. <laughs> Oh, oh my no! Goodness. Picnics during wow. the gun. Man. What is this? The Civil War? Right. Jeez. Wow. <laughs> gunfire ceased. Uh, gunfire ceased coming from the house after five hours. Oh, just five hours. So after five hours, that's a lot ah, of ammo. So they, so they're in a standoff, pretty much. Right. Uh, the, the FBI ordered local East East State. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after five hours of this. Uh, Standoff. Right. The FBI ordered local estate handyman Willie Woodbury to enter the house wearing a bulletproof vest. His face is exposed. They're gonna shoot him in the head. Woodbury reported that the they sent in and they sent in an area handyman. Right. They sent in an area handyman to go in <laughs> with these violent guys who just been having a shootout with each other, and they sent in this poor little schlub to go investigate. Like what the hell? Right. Well, anyway, he comes out of the house said they're dead. They're dead. They're dead. Well, both bodies were found in the same front bedroom. Fred Barker's body was riddled with bullets, but Ma appeared to have died from a single bullet wound. Ooh, probably she to probably the face. She killed herself. All right. Killed Fred, and then uh, she was like, I ain't going out. I ain't going without out without like you, Freddy. Oh. Well, a Thompson submachine gun was lying between the bodies of Ma and Fred. Their bodies were put on a public display, and then there's. How then- many times has a Tommy gun been found next to a dead body? Mm-hmm. Right. Dead gangster. Dead gangster. Their bodies were put on public display and then stored unclaimed until October first, 1935, when relatives had them buried wow. at the Williams Timberhill Cemetery in Welch, Oklahoma, next to the body of Herman Barker, who had died in 1927, another wow. one of the sons. So they sat there waiting. Well, that sucks. What was this? This was in January? January 16th. So they sat there all the way into October? Oh, my. Jeez. That's terrible. Wow. Just after Ma and Fred's death in the shootout with the FBI on January 16, 1935. <laughs> what? Jeez. Jeez. Carpus nearly met his own violent end when the FBI located him in Atlantic City. Atlantic City. Carpus and Harry Campbell managed to shoot their way to an escape. Though Carpus' eight-month pregnant girlfriend, Dolores Delaney, was hit in the, high, in the thigh by a wild shot fired by Campbell. Oh, no. Jeez, dude. She was captured. girlfriend, right. man. And she was captured along with Campbell's girl. Wow. Both the women got captured while these guys fled. Go away. Wow. And uh, Carpus left his his child. His and, baby mama. Wow. Dolores gave birth to a son who was adopted by Carpus's parents. Well, good for him. Well, at least he knows where it's at. Right. <laughs> Carpus and Campbell hid out with a brothel keeper, Edith Berry, for several months. Nice. Carpus continued his crimes with others, but had to keep on the move more than ever, as wow. he was the fourth and last of the FBI's public enemy number one. He's Dallas. lasting a lot longer than everybody else. All right. He did manage to pull off a crime that echoed the times of the Old West, nice. which was a train robbery in Garrettsville, Ohio, which netted $27,000. Sweet. After the death of Matt and oh, Fred, no. they both Carpus died? allegedly sent word to the FBI, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, that he intended to kill Hoover with the same way Hoover had killed Matt and Fred. Oh, no. According to Carpus and the Alvin Carpus story, the death threat was a rumor started by Hoover himself. Oh. He says, I never sent no letter to Hoover. Right. Hoover's trying to make himself out. We already know the history of Hoover right. and, he's, he's uh, mad and, and this, and the wrong Hoover since became president. Right. Since <laughs> Prohibition and the way he's flopped a lot of uh, stuff with the FBI so far. Yeah. 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 J. Edgar Hoover. Mm. Mm. 
The FBI had come a long way since its reorganization and renaming in 1935. Right. From the Bureau of Investigation created in 1908. So they're like, we're now the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So they weren't even the FBI during all of this. No. <laughs> they were the Bureau of Investigation. They're, yeah, they're the but we're, we were calling it the FBI through the whole uh, right. story. Right. They're the B of I. Anyway, J. Edgar Hoover was appointed <laughs> as the active... Acting head of the bureau yes. in 1924 and completely transformed the agency to what we see it now in 1935. Despite its success, however, however, the agency had many, 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 many problems, which we heard on last episode. I don't we, know why we're repeating this. In those very days, when the application of science technology to fight crime was still in its infancy, the agency was at the mercy of the public. For information. They're they like, we need information from you guys. We need We're, your help. You want these guys off the streets? So do we. But we can't do that if we don't have your full cooperation. Exactly. Often agents on bad often agents on bad information were sent off to remote locations. <laughs> wow. They're like, I think I see him. I was fishing the I other think day. He was down there in the uh, swampland. <laughs> down there yonder. So so people that probably didn't like the FBI would be like, yeah, pretty, obviously. Yeah, they're sending them off over on wild goose chases, wild Jeez. goose hunts, however you want to say it. <laughs> I guess they call them red herrings back then. Right, that's a bit red herring right there. It ain't what it is. Uh, the personal low point for Hoover though came in uh, April, in an April 1936 United States Senate hearing. Senator Kenneth McKellar of Tennessee lambasted Hoover for the performance of the FBI and the fact he that lambasted Hoover lambasted him. Lambasted him mm. for the fact. Uh, for the performance of the FBI and the fact that Hoover himself had never personally arrested anybody. Anybody. Well, after the hearing, a determined Hoover vowed he would capture Carpus personally. Mm. Okay. You think he's going to? Yeah, we'll see. Hoover did not have to wait long. May 1st, 1936. Uh, it was a month later. Or weeks, we don't know. Right, or day. Right. <laughs> Could have been April 30th. Right. Uh, May 1st, 1936, the FBI located Carpus in New Orleans. New Orleans. Hoover flew there to be in charge of the arrest. He was like, I got to. <laughs> like, I got to. Like this, this guy just lambasted me in front of everybody. <laughs> like, I'm going to New Orleans. <laughs> Shortly after 5 p.m. on the 2nd of May, as a dozen or so agents swarmed Carpus's car, Hoover announced to Carpus that he was under arrest. Under, yeah. A couple of versions of arrests have been reported. So Hoover never did anything. Still. He couldn't have. And they're under arrest. Yeah, a couple of the versions does have been reported because Carpus's version, well, which it. was told in his memoirs, was that Hoover came out only after all the other agents had seized him. Of course he did. Only then did the agents call to Hoover that it was safe to approach the car. Obviously. The official FBI version states that Hoover reached into the car and grabbed Carpus before he could reach a <laughs> rifle in the back seat. <laughs> oh, <laughs> FBI, <laughs> you ain't fooling nobody. Get no. out of here. I mean, Carpus has been telling the truth the whole his whole autobiography. There's no reason to lie. I mean, come on. Obviously, that's exactly what happened. Right. Ain't no way Andrew Hoover stopped him from getting a rifle in the back seat. Heck <laughs> out of here. In fact, the car, a Plymouth Coupe, had no back seat. So. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. So, so he was in a car that had no back seat, and the FBI claims that he reached in the back seat. Oh, no. Wow. Well, the scene was further confused, and Hoover told his men to put the handcuffs on him. Not one agent had brought handcuffs. Oh, my God. Like, I thought we were killing him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. The FBI under J. Edgar is wow. just a sham at you this point. You are not kidding. I don't understand how they made it. Well, Carpus was tied up with an agent's necktie. <laughs> oh, my God. He's like, agent, give me your tie. <laughs> You're going after a public enemy. 
the, ah. the public enemy at this time. Wow. And they didn't come. They didn't come with any handcuffs. No, Nothing. anything. Nothing. Nothing. A necktie. Are you serious? Wow. Wow. The cap. <laughs> the capture of Carpus catapulted Hoover into becoming. I mean, into the public eye and made his name synonymous with law enforcement until he died. In 1972, at the age of 77, hmm. it's a false hero. This guy is. Exactly. He, I mean, he probably drank himself exactly. to a pity every night, Hell, no. or he loved it. Yeah, right. He was so egotistical that he loved all his name in the paper. You, you know yeah, it already, that's dude. Ridiculous. I mean, come on. FBI. The capture of Carpus essentially ended the age of the big name Depression era criminals. It did. The no big more, name. Right. The big names. But little did they know what was to become. In addition to those, Dillinger, Babyface Nelson. Machine Gun Kelly, Pretty Boy Floyd, and others killed violently in the 1930s included Jack Legs Diamond, mm. Vincent Mad Dog Cole, mm. Frank Jelly Nash, mm. and Dutch Schultz. Mm. El Capone was an Alcatraz and slowly going insane from syphilis. He was at this time. He sure was. Well, Carpus was brought to trial at the St. Paul Federal Courts Building, which is now the Landmark Center. Carpus initially pleaded not guilty. But as the case was called for trial, Thomas J. Newman, attorney for Carpus, told the court his client, one of the actual kidnappers of Ham, desired to plead guilty. Two weeks later, Carpus offered through his attorney, Thomas Newman, to plead guilty to Bremer conspiracy. To the Bremer conspiracy, if kidnapping charges were dropped, the court accepted the offer. Hmm. So they got the charge of kidnapping off. It doesn't matter anyway. It was a conspiracy to kidnap, not actual kidnapping. So, uh... I mean, probably well, a lesser sentence, not a lesser sentence, well, clearly. <laughs> after all that, Carpus was sentenced to life in prison. He was incarcerated at the recently constructed Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary from August 1936 to April 1962. Mm. For six months in 1958, he was transferred to the Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary, but was then returned to Alcatraz. His main job at Alcatraz, he baked. He was a baker. Old, uh... Oh, Alvin the Baker. Right. He was far from a model prisoner, though, frequently <laughs> fri- fighting with other inmates. I mean, he had to. Carpus served the longest sentence of any prison at, prisoner at Alcatraz, which is uh-huh. 26 years. Uh-huh. In April 1962, with Alcatraz in the process of being closed already in 62, uh-huh. he was transferred to- I think they closed because them, them three guys that escaped. Well, not I think only they that. It that, was it? too expensive to run. It was on an island. Right. Well, he was transferred to another island, which was McNeil Island Penitentiary in Washington State. While at McNeil, Carpus met a young Charles Manson oh, there. Oh, really? Good 62? Manson was in prison in 62? Yeah. He went to prison before he went to prison. Really? Carpus wrote about Manson in his autobiography with Robert Livesey, 1980. This kid approaches me to request music lessons. He wants to learn guitar and become a music star. Little Charlie is so lazy and shiftless. <laughs> I doubt if he'll put in the time required to learn. The youngster had been in institutions all his life. First orphanages, then reformatories, and finally, here we are. Here we are here. Federal prison. His mother, a prostitute, was never around to look after him. I decided it's time to some I decided it's time someone did something for this guy. And to my surprise, he does learn quick. Good for him. He has a pleasant voice and a pleasing personality, although he's unusually meek and mild for a convict. Hmm. He never has harsh word to say and is never involved in even an argument. That's that's old Charlie. Right, he's just a calm old guy and he I mean his singing is that's what got got the women, right? Right. Well after Manson had become proficient on the guitar, he asked Carpus for help in getting a job playing in Las Vegas and Carpus had contact with the nightclub and casinos owners there. He got him a job. Nice. Manson told him he would be bigger than the Beatles. 
Carpus decided to leave Manson on his own regarding his music career. <laughs> so basically, Carpus is the reason for Manson. If Manson never learned how to be play the guitar, how can he like woo his women to do whatever? He did it by singing. It's true. He did it by singing. He even sang a song with the Beach Boys, didn't he? I, I think so. Or the Beach Boys covered one of his songs or did something with one like of that, his songs. Right? I thought so, he yeah. like wrote a song or something. Anyway, Carpus was released on parole in 1969. Look at that guy. Sentenced yeah. to life in prison and got released on parole. The Look only at guy that got to live. Only guy, only one of the public enemy guys that get to live. <laughs> but they released him and deported him to Canada. Mm. <laughs> Although initially had difficulty obtaining Canadian passport credentials. Having had his fingerprints removed, I mean, all. yeah, that, that'll that'll uh, be a problem. <laughs> uh, he settled in Montreal. He wrote his, his first memoirs in 1971, while another memoir book was published in 1980, one year after his death. Okay, and he was born in 1907. 19, nice. Yeah. Nice. During his first book tour across Canada, he went to on a book tour and everything. Look at this guy; he's famous now. All right. During his first first book tour across Canada for Public Enemy Number One for McClellan and Stewart, which was published in the United States as the Alvin Carpus story. Hmm. I have to read Carpus that. was looking more like an accountant than a gangster, still showed a dry sense of humor. In Edmonton, while shuffling Carpus between various interviews with the media, MS book rep Ruth Bertelson made a stop at her bank. Asking Carpus if he wanted to come in with her, Carpus <laughs> replied, No, dear, you take care of the vault, I'll drive. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. She's like, Oh, dear. Oh, dear. He became a mentor to her young son until the sociopathy. Sociopathy of some of his vice were child angered Mrs. Bertelson. Yeah. I He's mean, like, This is what you need to do, kid. Right. I mean, you still got go the mindset. In, need to go in, guns blazing. Right. Just take all the money. He was like, I had it with this Western uh, hemisphere. Yeah. I'm going to Spain. I'm gone. He went to Spain in 1973, August 26, 1979. He died by what was originally ruled suicide, as sleeping pills were found by his body. But later was ruled death from natural causes. Huh. He probably couldn't sleep. And, right. Uh, some closer to the scene say foul play may have been involved. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, what are you going to do, right? Well, Robert Leibsey, who co-wrote Carpus's 1979 book, said Carpus was not the type to commit suicide. Leibsey said Carpus was a survivor. I'm a survivor. Don't give up. He had served 33 years in prison. And he's surviving. He, he served 33 years in prison just to kill himself? Right. Uh, who does that? Uh, and also stated Carpus was anticipating the publication of the book. Right. Livesey believed Carpus had been introduced to pills and alcohol by his last girlfriend, Nancy, to give a relaxing high. Perhaps Carpus accidentally overindulged on one occasion with fatal consequences. Wow. No, opt no autopsy was performed, and Carpus was buried at the next day in Spain. So... Hmm. He didn't even go back to his, his homeland. He just got buried in Spain right there. Wow. Carpus has been described as the leader or brains of the gang. Gang member Fred Hunter said Carpus was super smart. Super smart. He was super he smart. Was, he was super smart. He was super smart. <laughs> and it was reported to have a photographic memory. This guy remembered everything. everything. I mean, down to a T. There's no way. Everything. 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 He could tell you every. That's why they're probably so good at bank robbing. Right. I know this. Right. This is here. Security guards here. Vaults here. Mm -hmm. Tellers here. This is how you get in here. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, a myth was started that Ma Barker ruled Meh. the gang with an iron fist, but the facts do not seem to support these claims. Mm. It is she highly did. unlikely that the criminals. She did. Ma was part of it, but she eh. kept the boys in line. Well, it's highly unlikely that criminals as adept as Carpus and even Ma's son, for that matter, <laughs> would have listened to her. Carpus later wrote about the subject in his memoirs. 
He said, meh, was always somebody in our lives. Loved and entered to it, really. She was somebody we looked after and took with us when we moved city to city, right. hideout to hideout. It is no insult to Matt's memory that she just didn't know. She didn't have the know-how to direct us on a robbery. Right. She didn't it would not have on occurred, a robbery. Well, it would not have occurred to her to get involved in right. our business, and we always made it a point of only discussing our scores when Matt wasn't around. Right. We'd leave her at home when we were arranging a job, or we'd send her to a movie. Matt saw a lot of movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, she was just there, man. She was the. Yeah, but I bet she was the. She was the matriarch of the right. of the of the gang family. But I bet much. you got they, out of they, line they, inside she, the house. She, she well, obviously she knew what they were doing. Right. She, I mean, saying she cooked their meals. She right. made sure they were clothed, fed, all that. She, but she, she was, was still she the, was the woman of the house. She was still the boss. So I doubt it. Not the boss of the criminal organization, but she was the boss of the family. She was the boss of the sons. Right, of the family. No. Of, of the, that household. Of the sons. Right, of that household yeah. right there. I believe yeah, so. She was a homemaker is what she was. All right. That's pretty it. Harvey Bailey, another well-known bank robber of the era, knew the Barker gang very well. And in his autobiography, published in the 70s, he agreed with Carpus, observing that, meh. Couldn't plan breakfast. <laughs> oh, so she couldn't even cook either. I mean, geez, what are you? What are you good for, man? They're like, they're like. Uh, so Harvey did. There was Ma. Was, was she a major part? Man, that woman couldn't plan breakfast, and was certainly no mastermind behind any gang activity. Yeah, see, see. It was purported that Ma Barker's entire reputation as a criminal mastermind was con- concocted by Hoover to protect the FBI's public image after federal agents discovered they had killed a 62-year-old mother. <laughs> and so it, here it goes. We end us another uh, story that involves the FBI and them hiding or covering up something to make themselves look better and not, not have public outrage. Cause who's going to mm. like the FBI after this? You guys killed a 62-year-old mother that had... She was just there. Right. Guys, she did nothing, had no part in the criminal uh, world, did nothing, not committed one robbery, but you gunned her down in cold blood. Mm. Wow. The FBI. We need to do a whole show on the uh, on the uh, incompetence of the the early FBI. Right. From the 20s to now, because uh, there's a lot of them. A lot. There's a lot of them. A lot. And with that being said, that's the last public enemy of the public enemy in the public enemy era but don't fret we're not done with the 30s yet Mm because you just heard some names in this episode Mm -hmm. that we'll be covering and there's a lot more than that we still got still got a lot of 1930s to go and a lot more stupidity by the fbi (laughs) yeah yeah exactly a lot more stupidity by the fbi and we'll probably see that coming up in the uh, mafia but i would have to say coming up too in the beginning i was impressed by how smart these guys were and then it fizzled and then it just broke apart like fast. I don't get it. How can you be so smart at one moment and then next you're you're, you're dumb, dumb yeah. as a box of rocks. It fizzled pretty uh, pretty fast wow. when you kill somebody and you know this guy has all the all the right. all the aliases, all the names of everybody that's in your gang, and mm-hmm. then now they're like, nah, we're just gonna kill him and leave him on the right. on the concrete outside. Wow, idiots. Wow. Hey guys, I think we made it through this episode with only saying one f bomb. Right. Thanks, dang. And really, uh, the only curse word it was said was, was shit. Yeah, shit, which shit. is not a curse word, man. Right. So, so how's that for you guys? Hey. <laughs> Without uh, hey. we didn't we didn't need to use swear words as but adjectives. it makes it better. It does it makes it better. I swear, I didn't it didn't feel right without right. didn't feel right without feel like swear a, words. I feel like a fraud. <laughs> <laughs> I can't express myself freely. <laughs> My First you, Amendment rights you, have been... <laughs> you're asking me to not be me! <laughs> How am I right. supposed to do this? Right. Under the pressure of no swear words. Mm. Uh, well, we did it, except for one. Um, 
<laughs> Which can be cut it out. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week for, I don't even know, because I have to uh, do some research and see who the next worthy worthy uh, recipient of an episode is going to be. So either or, you know, it's going to be somebody that did some crimes and killed some people and right, went right. to jail probably. Right, most likely. So, yeah, we'll be back next week for I'm that. sure they made that. a lot of money during that process. If you guys are looking for F-bombs and Ooh, swear yeah. words. And, <laughs> There's plenty of them and, over there. Yeah, and a lot of stuff like that. You guys can go check out our other show, The Bang and Dang Show, available wherever you get your podcast, where we talk about movies, news, politics, sports, music, anything and everything, whatever we feel like talking about at that moment, this last episode that you guys, uh, it might be out by now. Um whole two-hour debate almost almost two-hour debate on the uh titanic and the conspiracies yeah, surrounding that we the, learned together and the federal reserve we together so uh yeah over there on the bang dang show and if you guys are wrestling fans we have the monday night watch along who really won the, the war who really won we'll the monday you. night war we will war. tell you the monday night watch along we watch the main events of every raw and nitro from the inception of nitro and we decide who 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 we think won the war and so far WCW so far by a, a huge margin get the vaccine <laughs> listen listen WCW's winning <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll be back next week with the Mouth of Michiganders with Bang Dang <laughs> <laughs>